Thank you so much for leading us in worship. As I begin, if you will, have your Bibles open to Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23. As you're finding your way to Luke chapter 23, verse 12, I want to just take just a moment to say again, thank you so much. Y'all have been tremendous and gracious hosts to us, me and my family, and I, I really do appreciate it. Thank you a whole lot. Uh, as you're finding Luke chapter 23, beginning with verse 12, I'd also like to say, you know the old joke about somebody taking a picture with a camera and you so ugly you broke the camera, and we all know that joke. I never heard this one, though. You notice I ain't wearing a little microphone thing this evening. Apparently my preaching's so bad it broke the microphone this morning. <laughs> they said something was going bad wrong back there, so they had to shut it down. Now, I don't know if that was a warning kind of letting me know they'll shut me down if they need to or what. I'm not sure. We're going to look at our second part tonight of this series, What Did the Cross Look Like? What did the cross look like? This morning we looked at looking ahead to the cross. This evening we will look at looking past the cross. I'm going to ask if you're able, in deference to God's Word, would you please stand and allow me to read from His Word to us tonight? Luke chapter 23, beginning with verse 12, and I'll read through verse 25. God's Word says to us tonight, And the same day Pilate and Herod were made friends together, for before they were at enmity between themselves. And Pilate, when he had called together with the chief priests and the rulers and the people, said unto them, You have brought this man unto me as one that perverts the people. And behold, I having examined him before you, have found no fault in this man, touching those things whereof you accuse him. No, nor yet Herod, for I sent you to him, and lo, nothing worthy of death is done unto him. I will therefore chastise him and release him, for of necessity he must release one at the feast. And they cried all out at once, saying, Away with this man, and release unto us Barabbas, who for a certain sedition made in the city and for murder was cast into prison." Pilate, therefore, willing to release Jesus, spake again to them. But they cried, saying, Crucify Him! Crucify Him! And He said unto them the third time, Why? What evil has He done? I have found no cause of death in Him. I will therefore chastise Him and let Him go. And they were instant with loud voices, requiring that He might be crucified. And the voices of them and of the chief priests prevailed. And Pilate gave sentence that it should be as they required, and he released unto them him that for sedition and murder was cast into prison, whom they had desired, but he delivered Jesus to their will. Please be seated. Let us pray. Merciful Heavenly Father, if it will be pleasing you now to allow me a a sinner, O oh Father God, I'm totally unworthy of this book and this desk, dear Father, and these your people. But Lord, if it will be pleasing to you to allow me to preach your word, will you garrison the hearts of these your people that the wicked one cannot come and snatch away the word? Would you create the atmosphere in a spiritual way, in such a way, Father, that the seed will have place to fall to, dear Lord, that it may bear root and fruit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Tomorrow, as you said in your bulletin, if you will, We'll look at looking at the cross on the ground, Mark chapter 15, verses 16 through 22. I'd encourage you to read that. Familiarize yourself with it. Let the Lord speak to you through His Word. And uh, as, as Pastor Brown's already told us, it will prepare our hearts for it. If I were to ever ask you, have we ever taken anything that was extremely important for granted 
If we were all honest, we would say that we had. It's just human nature. If we were to pursue that even farther, would we say that we had ever taken the cross for granted? Well, I'm sure we have. Oftentimes, we take for granted some of the most important things in our lives. I'm reminded of a couple. They had been married for about 50 years, and they did all right. But, you know, like a lot of times, they start to take each other for granted. Well, the husband, he was starting to have some medical complications. He just wasn't feeling right, and he wasn't doing good, and his wife stayed after him. And finally, he submitted. He said, all right, I'll go to the doctor. You make the appointment. So she hauled him off to the doctor, and she got him in there, and they put him through a thorough examination, upside down, sideways, inside out, and everything. And when they were done with all the examinations, the nurse was finishing up with him, the doctor called the wife in for a consultation. And she said, he, she told her, he said, ma'am, it's kind of bad. He said, I need to talk. She said, what do we need to do, doc? She said, now listen to me. He's in a bad way. I'm going to need you to do everything you can to help him. You need to let him sleep through the night. If he wants to sleep late, let him sleep late. Have him a hot breakfast ready for him as soon as he wakes up in the morning. Don't ask him to do nothing. If he's tired, let him take a nap. If he needs a foot massage, rub his feet. If you need to rub his back, do that. Have him lunch ready and let him nap after lunch. Get him the remote control and the newspaper. Don't ask him to do nothing around the house. Don't nag him, don't worry him, and have him a good supper. And let him rest and relax after supper. And tuck him in good at night. She said, all right, okay. Well, they finished up at the doctor's office and they got in the car and they started going down the road and he looked over to her and he said, didn't you talk to the doctor? She said, yeah, I did. He said, well, what did he say? She looked over to him and she said, he said, you're going to die real soon. <laughs> Oftentimes... We take the most important things in our lives for granted. There's not a more seminal moment to the Christian walk than the cross. Often, I submit to you tonight, we take it for granted, and we'll look past the cross as if it isn't there or as if it never happened. Just taking it for granted. Now, if I can, we can move from, as we did this morning, from Isaiah to the present day of the cross or leading up to it. I would like to take you now, by my narration, using your imagination, if you will, to the judgment seat at the praetorium the day that Jesus would be crucified. I will offer you this text in three points. I won't exposit them so much as we will almost in narrative form, but the first one we'll see the council that had been convened against Jesus. And in verse 12, the first thing we noticed right there as we begin to pass back from Herod's time with Jesus back to Pilate's final time, they had been at odds with one another, but now all of a sudden they were friends. They had something in common. Having failed, Pilate having failed to find a legitimate charge against Jesus, other than what the Sanhedrin was falsely accusing him of, of this blasphemy and being worthy of death, having found nothing against him, he's trying his best to get out of this. They're not. They want him crucified. But they didn't have necessarily the authority to commit the death penalty themselves, or some would argue that not under these circumstances they weren't going to take it. So the Jewish leaders, what they're doing is they're pushing on Pilate to do it for them. 
So the chief priests and the elders had brought Jesus to Pilate first from Caiaphas' house. We find in John chapter 16, 28, they had led him therefore early that morning to Caiaphas' house from there unto the praetorium. Pilate had heard him. He had sent him, sent him to Herod, and they had sent him back. Now, interesting thing it says about them. They took him there, but they wouldn't go in. They didn't want to be defiled for the Passover. They were meticulous in observing their man-made traditions. And they were fastidious in observing their own rules and regulations. Oh, we wouldn't dare be defiled for the Passover. But you make no mistake, they are lying, cheating, and everything else trying to get Jesus on that cross. And they get Him to Pilate, and Pilate asked Him, said, Are you the King of the Jews? And Jesus responded to him, Are you asking me this, or did others tell you that? Pilate's retort basically was, am I a Jew? I'm not, am I? Kind of sarcastically, and Jesus replied, look, my kingdom is not of this world. Pilate's in a quandary. He's convinced, as we will see, he declares multiple times publicly, he's convinced of Jesus' innocence. He's convinced of it. And he's repulsed by the chicanery of the chief priests and their elders. He knows what they're up to. He knows what they're about. But see, he's on political thin ice. He's been in rule, I think, maybe four to five years. I could be wrong on that. But he's already made several mistakes. And so he can't afford another one. So there's politics at play here. He's afraid of an all-out revolt. But yet he declares he sees no fault in him. Matthew 27 told us he knew they had delivered Jesus out of envy. Again, he knew their hearts. He knew what this was all about. In verse 8, he even tried to send him to Herod, as we said. Herod was glad to see him, but Herod just wanted to see a show. Do some miracles or something. Entertain me. He was having none of that. He sends him back to Pilate. And kind of here we are. They become friends. And in verses 13 through 15, we begin to see Pilate called the chief priests together and the rulers of the people. And he said, look, you've brought this man to me, verse 14, as one that perverts the people. And behold, I have examined him before you. I found no fault in him. He's declaring his innocence right there. He says, you know, if you need some need of punishment, we'll do something. I'll therefore chastise him and release him. There's nothing more I need to do here. And there was a precedent for that. He said, I can even in verse 17, of necessity he offered to release a prisoner. That was a, a, a Passover tradition. He was willing to do that. He's trying to wiggle his way out of this council that is insistent that Jesus... Be killed. Now, without me spending a ton of time, because that's not where I want to focus on today, all that's at play, it's a lot here, and we could talk about it. What we must know, first and foremost, Jesus standing there wasn't worthy of that cross. He hadn't done anything to deserve it. Pilate declares it. The people desire their will, and their will was for Him to be crucified. And just as we said this morning, lest we go begin to look down our nose at, Jesus, uh, at other people and think it may have been different for us, be very, very careful. The heart is desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. Who can know it? Scripture teaches. We move next and we'll begin to see their cry in verses 18 through 23. So Pilate offers, per their tradition, look, got a perfect situation here. Here's Jesus they're telling me to crucify him. I ain't found nothing worthy of death in him. Y'all have a tradition where we release a prisoner, kind of a political peace offering, if you will. I'll just whoop Jesus to satisfy them, and then I'll release him to you. 
But a good politician does. No, they're not going to have any of that. Verse 18, you going to release one then? And they cried out all at once, away with this man, and you release unto us Barabbas. No, no, no. You crucified Jesus, you give to us Barabbas. Who was this Barabbas? Well, the Bible doesn't tell us a whole lot about him, but we can gather a few things. We know that he was born under a foreign occupation to a nation that there was still a strict religious caste system there with the Pharisees and the Sadducees that was left over from a former theocracy of what they had used to be, and that the Roman government was not known for its mercy. We don't have any details about his childhood, but it does not require us to stretch the boundaries of reason to assume, as most had in his day, that they had heard of the Jewish people believing in a coming Messiah. I'll tell you something else we know for him for a fact. He's been charged with three different felonies. So probably sometime he had heard of this Jesus guy. We don't know or not. But what we do know is, he knows what crucifixion is. Anybody living in that time would have. Rome made sure you knew what it was. They did not execute their criminals in some chamber, in some antiseptic way where no one could see it and we didn't horrify anybody. They wanted every man, woman, and child to see it in its gore and its grotesque display so you would know what would happen if you crossed the Roman government. Barabbas was well aware of a cross that was awaiting him. He knew what treason and sedition would do. He knew that was a capital offense. He knew that murder was a capital offense. He was also a thief, just to top it all off. i tell you something he didn't know that day. Barabbas did not know that day that me and you would be sitting here 2,000 years later talking about him. He knew there was a cross for him. He knew in his heart he was guilty of it. But what is that to him now? None of that matters, see. His fate is sealed. He knows he's guilty. He knows he's a thief. He knows he's a murderer. He knows he's an insurrectionist. And he knows what Rome's going to do for him. By way of imagination, I wonder what it was like locked up in the cell. We've already talked about what went on out there on the judgment hall out in the public. And I'm sure Pilate, when he called for Barabbas and he sent the guards, he was probably chained up in a cell somewhere. He probably heard the guards coming to him. He could probably hear the crowd outside. I know this is speculation. Stay with me. I can't imagine the adrenaline rush that may have been going through his body as they come to get him. And they drag him out there and he's going to stand and face people, maybe people he had possibly harmed directly. None of that matters anymore. They've asked for Barabbas. He'll be delivered to them. He just don't know it yet. We don't know why. He stands there. He walks out. He sees Pilate. I'm sure he sees Jesus. And somewhere nearby there would be a cross, a cross that was built for him, but that he won't go to. Verse 18, and they cried out all at once, saying, Away with this man, and release unto us Barabbas, who for a certain sedition made in the city, and for murder was cast into prison. Pilate, therefore, willing to release Jesus, spake again to them, but they cried, saying, Crucify him! Crucify him! Why release Barabbas and crucify Jesus? See, Barabbas was a lot more at heart, like them at heart, than, than Jesus was. Especially those chief priests and the religious 
elite, the Pharisees and Sadducees, they could live with, with Barabbas being treasonous a lot easier than they could Jesus walking up, turning over the tables of the money changers and telling them, you hypocrites! They could live with just another scoundrel who was thieving and stealing a lot easier than they could Jesus walking up saying, but in vain do you worship me because you teach for doctrine the commandments of men. Ah, Jesus won't quite like them. Barabbas was. Hey, you give him to us. Who don't care that stuff he's done? Not Jesus, though. What will you have me to do with Jesus? Oh, you'll crucify him. And as Peter would say later in Acts chapter 3, verse 14, But you delivered the Holy One and the Just One and desired a murderer to be granted unto you. Verse 20, Pilate is still trying. Pilate, therefore, willing to release Jesus, he spake again unto them. He's given another chance. But the chief priests and the elders, and now they've got the crowd whooped into a frenzy. They ain't hearing none of that. They don't care to hear any of it. But they cried, saying, Crucify Him, crucify Him. All the more they cried days ago. They were crying, Hosanna. Hosanna is the Son of David. Days ago, weeks ago, possibly, they were following Him around. Many in that same crowd that were one day shouting how good He was are now shouting, crucify Him, crucify Him, give to us Barabbas. They're not having any of that. Verse 21, they cried, saying, crucify Him. Verse 22, and when He said unto them, this being Pilate, why, what evil has He done? Church, let those words sink in. What evil has He done? And yet, is there any other name, no matter what language or dialect that is spoken within, that creates more animosity than the name of Jesus? Think about that. Why? What evil has He done? If you're standing in line at the Walmart... Nobody will be offended if you say something like, God bless you. Most people won't be offended if you say some generic thing, well, the man upstairs. Most people won't be offended if you mention God. You throw the name of Jesus out there and it will change the conversation. Because it distinguishes. But why? What evil has He done? None. It's us that's evil. He came into the world to bring light. But we love darkness rather than light. Barabbas is about to be freed from a cross that he deserved. And Jesus will go to that cross to do something for you and me that we do not deserve. Will Barabbas look past that cross or will he know? It is instant, they say, with verse 23. Though evil is found in him, I'll just chastise him and let him go. And they were instant with loud voices. 23. Requiring that he might be crucified. They required it. And the voices of them and of the chief priests prevailed. Instant. Loud voice. They didn't huddle up and say, you know what? This is a huge decision. A man's life is at stake. Let's adjudicate this a little further. Nobody stood up and said, hold on a second. We may be letting our emotions get the best of us. No one stood up and said, you know what? 
Maybe we should pray about this. Let me quit preaching and go to meddling right here just for a little fun. How many times have we done that in church business meetings and stuff? Uh-oh. We get a little riled up about having my way and we forget all about praying or talking it through or what's best for everybody. Amen or oh me. They've got this crowd whooped into a frenzy right there. Nobody's worried about meditating on this. Nobody cares anymore about what truth is. They don't stop and pray. Just crucify Him. Instant, with loud voices. That is what the crowd asked for. You ain't going to smile like that old Grinch on that cartoon started to creep across Barabbas' face. Oh, I'm going to get out of this? He come out of that cell thinking he would be nailed to a cross and be treated worse than you'd treat a hog when you kill hogs. That's more humane than what they did on that cross. He left that cell and the next thing you know, he's about to walk free. Their voices prevailed. Pilate delivered them to their will. The religion of the day, the popular opinion of the day, the political expediency, Peer pressure, young people, hear me on that one. The peer pressure succeeded for that day. Finally, let's look at the third point, a crucial, crucial intersection in verses 24 and 25. The interesting thing about intersections is you can be heading in different directions at the same time. Y'all got an interesting intersection right out here. I know y'all have to negotiate that quite frequently, I'm sure. People going in opposite directions, looking in opposite directions. He grants their wish to them, and Pilate gave sentence, verse 24, that it should be as they required. Barabbas, the thief, the insurrectionist, the murderer, he's released. He will walk away from a cross that was made for him. Do you hear me, church? He will walk away from a cross that was made for him. He will look past it. I wonder where his eyes went. I wonder if he found the shortest route to get out from in that crowd. I wonder if he started looking for some of his buddies that he used to run with. I don't know. I wonder if he lingered. I wonder if he turned back and looked at Jesus and thought, He's going to die on the cross that was made for me. The Bible doesn't tell us. This much we know, though, He walked free that day. Jesus went to a cross... That he was intended for. He left that day. Pilate capitulates and delivers Jesus to their will. Because of man's will, sin has entered the world and therefore death. And because it's God's will, his son for, will die for us to purchase our eternal life. Barabbas walks away free. Wonder if his steps were shortened. If he had gotten used to the fetters around his legs. I wonder if he rubbed his hands. Maybe where they unhooked the shackles from him. I wonder if you look back. Oftentimes we're like that as believers, church. Can still feel that old sin that we lived in in the past. I wonder if he looked at the cross. I wonder if he looked at Jesus. I wonder if he paused. I don't know. I know this, he walked away free. I know this, he could walk away and look past the cross. He could walk right by it. Did he stop and look? I don't know. Where are you getting that, preacher? Barabbas is just like me and you. We have been freed from an eternal punishment that we deserve. 
we have been freed from the judgment of the Almighty God that we deserve. We deserved it. We were born with the curse of Adam. We're sinners by choice. We're sinners by birth. We're sinners by default at times. We often think of sin as only what we do that we shouldn't do. How about all the things we should do that we don't? We don't even think about those sometimes. We're like Barabbas. Did he take the cross for granted? Do we take the cross for granted? Will we get up tomorrow? I can never answer to you whether Barabbas did or not. I don't know. But the question is, do we? Do we just look past the cross? Will we get up tomorrow? Because revival services will be over tonight. This evening, sir. You'll go home. We'll all go our different different ways. Will we get up tomorrow and go about whatever tomorrow's day requires of us and just look past the cross? And forget that Christ Jesus went to that cross to pay for our sins. We, like Barabbas, deserved it. But we've been freed. Will you still live with those shackles on your hands? Think of the things that we fight with. That Jesus has freed us from. That we battle with. That we want to constantly run back into our old self and our old sin nature. And let me tell you something, church. To run back into the sin that God has freed you from, you've got to run by the cross to do it. We get to looking past the cross. I'm going to go back. I'm going to fall right back into the same thing. You don't have to. Stop looking past the cross. Stop right there. Every sin ever was paid for right there. He defeated it for us. Just like Barabbas, worthy of death, He freed us. All of us. And we'll look right past that cross, only talk about it when we're in church, or we see a Christian flag, or maybe our necklace, and we'll forget that I deserved to be punished for my sins. But God is so gracious and so merciful. He punished His Son for me. I want to close with some words that may be familiar to you. Precious is the name of Jesus. Who can have its worth unfold? Far beyond angelic praises, sweetly sung by harps of gold. Precious when the Calvary groaned and He sustained the cursed tree. Precious when His death atoning, He made an end of sin for me. Precious when the bloody scourges caused the sacred drops to roll. Precious when the wrath and the surges overwhelmed His holy soul. Precious in His death victorious, He the host of hell overthrows. And in His resurrection glorious, a victor crowned over all His foes. Precious Lord beyond expressing, are Thy beauties all divine. Glory, honor, power, and blessing be henceforth forever Thine. Do not look past the cross. You are His children. We were purchased with the precious blood that was shed on that cross. Let us pray. Father, forgive me if I've done any injury to your text. I take now, dear Lord, I ask you will appropriate this by your Holy Spirit to these your people. In Jesus' name, amen.